This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode two of Retired Racehorse Radio on the Horse Radio Network, brought to you by Kentucky Performance Products and Riding Warehouse. Retired Racehorse Radio is your guide to the adoption, care, and training of the retired racehorse, brought to you in cooperation with the Thoroughbred Makeover and New Vocations. On today's show, Jen Reitz from the Retired Racehorse Project comes on to tell us the full scoop on what it takes to make the magic happen at the Thoroughbred Makeover. We get a fascinating history lesson from our beloved racehorses from the Keeneland Library. Our first ever RRP Spotlight rider, Shelby Dennis, comes on to tell us about her makeover horse, George. And stay tuned for our Winner's Circle Adoptable Horse of the Week brought to you by New Vocations. Listen in. And they're off on Retired Racehorse Radio, the podcast that is your guide to the adoption, care, and training of the retired racehorse. This is Jamie Jennings in Norman, Oklahoma. And this is Joy Hills from Kalamazoo, Michigan. And you're listening to Retired Racehorse Radio. Girl, thank you. I'm so excited to have our second episode so far. The first one has been released and aired and we're getting some good feedback. So, so that's always good. I know I'm actually, I don't want to say I'm surprised. I had a lot of faith in this project, <laughs> but you know, it, it is exciting to see how many people are listening to it already. And you know, it, it makes me feel good. Like, yes, we're getting a message out that people have been wanting for a long time. So it, it's so exciting. Well, and today we talk a little bit on the show about the history of the thoroughbred, the foundation of the thoroughbred. And what we want to do every episode is go a little bit further. So next could be the breeding and the next could be the training and next could be a, an exercise rider. And we're going to walk you through the career and life of your retired racehorse from the beginning. So we started with that today. And then I basically, with my retired racehorses, it's cold and it's freezing rain today. And my arena is frozen and I'm, I'm staring at my horses. So frustrated. But one of the horses that I got nuisance, the newer <laughs> horse, he had a week or so to settle in and I uh, had the farrier come out because he still had his racing plates on which for those who didn't get their horse directly off the track, racing plates are these tiny, very light aluminum shoes and they have what's called toe grabs on them. Have you ever seen a racing plate with a toe grab? I have, and I can't say it's probably the best thing for them to wear in a pasture. No, it is not. <laughs> so quickly, <laughs> he he went from four to three down to two very quickly, but yeah. they, they don't stay on very well. They have these toe grabs. And so what it does is like, it's like just a little extra eighth of an inch of aluminum that reaches forward and grabs the dirt when they're running and gives them a little more purchase. And then they pull through that. So they have it on all four. Well, he lost his front shoes almost immediately. And so then he had the two and I'm waiting for the farrier and waiting for the farrier. Well, what he did, and I don't know if he came like this because I couldn't get near his feet when he first came it, or it happened being out is that he, the toe grabs from the back leg reached up and grabbed his heels 
on both front feet. So then he had these heel grabs and of course they're like little slices and he's been a little bit sore. So I've been treating it and I get everything looking really good. And I'm like, okay, I put boots on everything and we go out and I thought, I just want to get a joint up just to like start Mm -hmm. to make a connection with him. And he goes and he does this beautiful joint up. It's perfect. He comes to the middle. I'm touching him everywhere. And I'm like, "Hmm, let me just walk around and look at his feet. Boom. Toe grab blood everywhere. He, even though his shoes are gone, the back shoes are gone. He opened up one of the heel grabs that I've been working so hard to make better. So we're just going to have to just take it a little slower with that one. Baby Groot, the other horse's name is lost my way. He's coming along really well. He's just getting ridden, you know, three, four times a week, weather permitting. Can I say that Chad posting the video of you riding him like melted my heart. I was like, <laughs> we all need a chat. <laughs> I I know. Well, I was in the arena and he was up on the roof of our hay barn. We moved into this farm and some parts of it are fairly a nightmare. So he's <laughs> patching holes on the roof of my hay barn. And so he just took his video camera out and recorded me riding this horse without me knowing I'll, I'll post it later on our retired racehorse radio Facebook page. So make sure you go take a look at that. Otherwise I'm riding one at least. And then I just get to look at the other one, and tell him how pretty he is. <laughs> so yeah, we'll so see. What makes you feel better? My facilities is an entire ice skating rink right now. So <laughs> it's basically, it's, it's been a good time to kind of teach some basics back with my horses, all of them, including the Arabians, you know, how to stand still, how to be okay in the barn by yourself. So, Mm -hmm. and we'll get into more of that training as we go along with the show, but that's been our winter in Michigan. We'll (laughs) have a training tip next week. We definitely kind of ran out of time. And I think Mm -hmm. what we need to do is get directly to our first guest after we hear from our friends at Kentucky Performance Products. She swallowed hard as they walked into the start box. She could feel his muscles tense under her leg. Five, four, three, two, one. Have a great ride. She didn't have to ask. He galloped out of the box and across the field toward their first training level course. His ears pricked. Her heart pounded. He attacked each obstacle with confidence, clearing them with room to spare. A huge smile broke out on her face as she crossed through the finish flags. She leaned forward and buried her face in his neck. Their bond of love and trust blocked out all else. This love story is brought to you by Elevate. Research proven to have superior bioavailability. Elevate supplies the essential vitamin E often missing from the equine diet. Its all-natural formula supports healthy muscle and nerve functions. The horse that matters to you matters to Kentucky Performance Products. Call 859-873-2974 or visit kppusa.com to order today. Well, our first guest almost needs no introduction, at least talking about where she works, because she is the executive director of the Retired Racehorse Project, Jen Reutz, and we are so glad to have her on to kind of talk a little bit about it, and we'll be doing it more throughout the year leading up to the makeover, but please welcome Jen Reutz. Well, hi, Jen. Are you in beautiful, perfect Lexington, Kentucky? I wish I could say I was, but no, I'm actually in chilly, brisk Baltimore right now. I come up here to the RRP office like once every month, month and a half, 
and work out of this office. And this is actually the weekend that we're doing our team like retreat. So our staff is kind of spread out. We have two full-time staff in the office and then we've got a couple contractors. So we're all meeting up here in Baltimore to have a little staff retreat and do a bunch of planning for the 2019 makeover and everything else we're doing this year. Well, I know that there's a lot of other people in the world who are doing a lot of planning for the 2019 makeover, for (laughs) sure, myself included. So what can you tell us? First of all, let's go back to the 2018 makeover. What are some things that you learned from the 2018 makeover? Well, I mean, every, every horse show for anyone who puts on horse shows is a learning experience. So, I mean, it was the biggest one we'd ever done, which was fantastic. And it you know, let us know that we could do an event that was bigger than it had been in any other year. But at the same time, it kind of showed us where the gaps are as far as if we want to continue to do something on that large of a scale. And it's, I mean, it's awesome that there's so many people who want to compete on thoroughbreds right off of the track and do this kind of unique training challenge rather than horse show. So that's fantastic. As far as what we learned, I think the biggest thing is, you know, like you have to grow smarter. And so we learned that if we're having that many people compete over two days, we really need a gap day between the semifinals and the finale. Every year we've had two days of preliminary competition and then the top five finishers in every division come back for the finale the next day. But with that many horses competing, it made for really long competition days and then really, really, really long day the night before setting up and like making sure all the scores were in order, making sure all of the courses were set for the finale. And it just kind of, it was a little bit overwhelming. There were, there was a lot of not sleeping going on. So what did you learn from that? What are, what are you going to implement going into the future? So this year we're changing our schedule a little bit. We have our, preliminary competition this year on Wednesday and Thursday instead of Thursday and Friday. And then we're taking a day to regroup on Friday. So we're not going to have competition going on Friday unless we need to. Like if, if one of the divisions or multiple divisions go long, we have Friday to make up for that and not have people competing like halfway into the night. But then also I think it's great because so many people come from all over the country to Lexington and it's the center of the thoroughbred industry. And sometimes they're so busy with the makeover, they they don't get to see everything. So that'll also give people a chance to come to some of the events we put on, like the makeover masterclass or some of the seminars that we do on how to retrain or feed or take care of recently retired racehorses. And it also is going to give them great opportunities to go out to Keeneland or go on a horse farm tour or explore some of the breweries or distilleries in the area. So hopefully it lets people just make the most out of their trip to Lexington. And then for us, it'll let us prepare for Saturday so we can just knock it out of the park with the finale and put on a really good competition and show. That's really awesome, Jen. I mean, what a cool way too for people who maybe are kind of, I don't want to say dragged along into the horse world, but it kind of brings a new experience to the audience. But for our new group of listeners who maybe don't know a ton about the makeover, what's the makeover masterclass? Could you give us some more details on that? So 
The Makeover Masterclass is kind of like a cult starting competition, like Road to the Horse or something like that, but without the competition angle. So we take, depending on how many, how much time we have and how many horses we want to include in it, for sake of example, we'll just say three. We'll take three recently retired racehorses who have not had any retraining since the track. Then we will take three trainers who have a lot of experience with off-track thoroughbreds. And then we will have a couple commentators as well who have a lot of experience, you know, with horse training in general. And so basically we have everyone mic'd up. So they all have microphones and you can hear what they're saying. And these three trainers walk the audience through their first interaction with an off-track thoroughbred. So last year we had Rosie Naprovnik, Elizabeth James, and Tom and Claire Mansman. So three totally different approaches to their first interaction or ride on a horse when they get it off the track. Like Rosie is a former jockey. So, you know, as you'd expect, she just walks up to the horse, gets a leg up and goes on with it and starts riding and is walking the group through like why she does it that way and what she's learning from the horse and what she likes and what she's working on, what she's asking of him. Elizabeth James does a lot more liberty work and natural horsemanship and things like that. So she never even got on her horse. She did only round pen work, um, trying to work with the horse that way and get some forward momentum mentally more than physically um, with her horse that way. And then Tom and Claire Mansman do a lot of ponying. And so before either of them got on the horse, they ponied the horse doing figure eights and ponying off of both sides of their makeover horse from last year. And then they, Tom got on the recently retired racehorse, Claire ponied him around. They ponied through a grid and over a few little cross rails. And then Tom took the horse off of the pony and hacked him around. And then they had kind of a little jumping clinic with a jump instructor taking them through you know, a couple of cross rails and a like very simple grid and just kind of like putting in 45 minutes or so a recently retired racehorse through a lot of interesting questions. And it was three different perspectives on how to assess them and how to approach that. So it was really cool. Then you have the commentary from these other professional trainers. I usually play the the part of the the interviewer. So I'd ask them like what they're liking about each horse. And if they were in the saddle instead of that person, what would they be doing? And, you know, things like that. So it's really interesting to get so many perspectives and the audience just kind of got to watch along for the whole time and then ask a lot of questions as well. So will it be the same people doing, or, or did you find some new trainers to, to participate? No, yet I, I wish we were that good at planning. <laughs> we We've still got about eight months to go or seven months to go. So we haven't planned who the trainers are going to be. It won't be the same three trainers, I wouldn't think. There's so many good trainers out there, but we'll have, you know, three new horses. All three are probably still racing right now and have no idea that by that time they would be a great candidate for that. That's we'll great. Some, this is going to be trainers. so fun. I It's the coolest. It's one of the coolest things I feel like we've come up with in a long time. Kirsten Green was the one who came up with the idea after watching a bunch of these cult starting competitions. And she just kept saying, how cool would it be to take this approach with off-track thoroughbreds? And I mean, it works so well. And it's something that we can do at other venues too. You know, we're doing it at the makeover this year, but 
we've been asked to do it at a few other equestrian events. And it's just a great way to showcase thoroughbreds and training techniques. Yeah, I love it. I love it. So being the executive director of the Retired Racehorse Project, uh, you, and then me as a participant this year, and I've emailed you about this, I have a comment slash suggestion. Okay. Can I, can I throw out my big idea? So (laughs) I only entered one horse, but I've since acquired a second and I want to bring the second one too, but you can only, whatever you originally sign up for, I want to implement some sort of waiting list. Like say we have 400 trainers that entered 600 horses. Well, all 600 horses are not going to come and participate. So that should be a drop list and then a waiting list to jump on it. I know that's a lot of organization, Jen, but what do you think? Can we do it? (laughs) (laughs) I love the idea and I love the enthusiasm and that's I mean, that's one of the great things of having an organization like this. It's super collaborative because so many people have great ideas that we just never think about. So my short answer is I love that idea. But we'd have to look into how we could incorporate <laughs> no. it. And pol- <laughs> no, it, it, it's not a no, actually. I am not opposed to it at all. The reason we have such early cutoff dates and we adhere to them so much is because we do a lot to promote the horses and the bloodlines and the racing connections and the brooding connections and all of that in for the, all the horses that have been put into the makeover to like uh when people register their horses and declare their horses that was what i was looking for when people declare their horses we put a lot of time and effort into mining that data and making sure we make the most of it from a publicity standpoint because our goal at the end of the day is, is not just the makeover. It's promoting the thoroughbred as a sport horse option and trying to increase demand and value these horses off of the track. And so we do that a lot through PR and promotion of all these horses who have been included in um, the registration process and declared. Horses don't get entered until like, I said, we haven't even entered our horses yet. So, I mean, we don't enter until like August, I think. Well, you have until August to enter. A lot of people have already declared their horses now. And so we're starting Mm -hmm. to mine all of that data. It's something that most definitely is on our list to start considering because we did, when you mentioned that in your email to us, we thought it was a great idea and definitely worth discussing. There are people a lot smarter than me who handle all of the data. So they might have (laughs) cons to the pros that I see that I'm just not smart enough to think of. But I can tell you, you know, this week we're doing our our staff retreat and really talking about, like, how can we continue to evolve this organization and make the event work harder for the people who are participating in it and also for the industry in general. And this is one of the ideas that is on our list of things to talk about and work through. So it's definitely not a no. I promise you that. It's something we're trying to figure out if we could do this year. Would it be a next year thing? Like, how might that work? Because, I mean, here's the thing is both my horses are so pretty and they need to be shown. <laughs> Jamie, you so, can't sweet talk listen, her about I, your horses. They're Come so on. pretty, though. They need to be, they need to be seen. Oh, no. So I, I appreciate it. And that's what I love about the organization is watching kind of how you guys have morphed through the years from the first year to now. It's just a ginormous undertaking in production. And even before I ever competed in it, I really appreciate what you guys do. I'm really excited to be a part of it this year. And Jen, I'm 
so glad you're on board and you're taking the reins and just running with it. You know, I've we've talked on our other radio show, Horses in the Morning, so many times about the horses you adopted and the horses that you have and kind of what your life is like. And I'm really like you walk the walk, girl. You don't just talk the talk and, and we love you. And I really appreciate everything that you do. And thank you for coming on the show and talking to us about this. Yeah, I'm more you, excited. Jen. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much. Well, thanks for having me. I mean, it's a really cool organization with an idea. That's like one of the best ideas that's come out of aftercare in the last decade, if not two, you know, so I'm lucky to be working on this side of it, but I mean, the only way to get better is get more and more ideas from people like you guys who live it and breathe it and they compete every year. And it's all these different perspectives that help it evolve and refine. So it's a cool position to be in. I love it. That's for sure. Well, thank you for coming on. And I look forward to talking to you as we get even closer. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks Jen. Jen. Well, Jamie, you had brought up earlier how we were going to learn about the history of the thoroughbred, and I don't think we could have brought on a better guest. We have the director of the Keeneland Library, Becky Ryder, and I'm so excited to hear what she has to say about, you know, how our beloved thoroughbreds came to be and, you know, all their backstory. It's going to be a great time. So I want everyone to have a great welcome for Becky. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for inviting me. Absolutely. Well, we're so excited because... As we're telling the story of our beloved thoroughbreds and all these OTTBs who have come into our lives, I think it's so important that we go back to the historical context of, you know, how our racehorses came to be. And we're really excited to have you. So I'm going to hit you with a hard question right away. Tell us a little bit about the history of the racehorse. Well, I probably imagine that people have been, as soon as somebody figured up figured out how to get on to the back of a horse. There was horse racing just because of the competitive nature of humans and the competitive nature of the horse and its ability to be swift and agile. So, but we go back to look at documents and documentation and we see organized flat racing evolving in England and Europe right around the 12th century you know, early 12th century Mm -hmm. and where they had standard distances and there were awards and things like that. So racing history goes back that far. Um, It's taken all kinds of shapes and sizes from starting out being really long distance races, like four Mm -hmm. miles that were run four miles nonstop or doing four one mile heat. And then Mm -hmm. later, you know, our more modern notion of races from seven furlongs, five and a half furlongs to a mile and a half, or maybe even a marathon. So it's an an evolving sport. And recently I've I've kind of gotten interested in this marathon notion of like the Mongolian marathon race. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It can take many, many forms. Yeah. And the fact that you said it went back to four miles, I mean, I can't imagine the modern day thoroughbred racing at full speed for four miles. So could you give us kind of a little bit of insight of how they even got to where they are? Where did the thoroughbreds start? Um, thoroughbreds pretty much are credited to have established as a breed in England when uh, English horse owners decided to bring in some Arabian and Turkmen influences from the east the the Mm -hmm. orient as they called it then 
And they brought in the three well-known ones were the Darley Arabian, the Godolphin Arabian, and the Byerly Turk. And they came from Yemen and Turkmenistan, and I'm not sure where the other one was from, but definitely Arab, Barb, Turkmen, blood stock, a little smaller, mm-hmm. really refined features compared to the, the horses that were racing in England at that time. This brought in a little bit more agility, a little more speed, um, a, a different size, and they started crossbreeding with these English mares to the point, at one point, you had three foundation stallions and approximately 20 what they call foundation mares. And from that point on, you only bred thoroughbred to thoroughbred. You didn't, you know, at, at one point it had to be mixed. We we're mixing mm-hmm. barbs and Turks and and whatever the English mares were. So that at some point they they got to where they're breeding thoroughbred to thoroughbred, and that's where we go back to those foundation sires and those foundation mares to establish the breed. And so that got started, ooh, late late 17th century, early 18th century, and solidified certainly in the 18th century, in the 1700s. The first thoroughbred coming to America was 17, early 1700s, maybe 1725, 30, something like that. Of course, they came in with the aristocracy because they were the ones that could afford the horses. And then eventually, you know, they eventually moved into different types of ownership. So. Now, it's interesting that we have such a documented history of the sires and the stallions that were used. But you said just the mares were just kind of standard English mares. Is there any sort of inkling on the breeding that they would they would use to breed to these three foundation sires? I think I think it was somewhat status driven. Whoever had one. When you look at the old pedigree charts, it's. Mr. Cronk's mare, Mr. So-and-so's barb mare, Mr. So-and-so's Turk mare. And really? you know, they didn't really have mm-hmm. names. Who knows if they even raced? They just looked stout and solid and they had good conformation and they had good bones. And so they would breed in the speed with the, with the males. And eventually they, you know, wow. the, the speed and the breed kind of evened out to be a, horse, male or female. So I'm not a breeding historian, but that's <laughs> that's the way I understand it and have appreciated it when I've gone back and looked through very old pedigrees. And at that time too, it was kind of a word of mouth thing of like, mm-hmm. I, I say my horse is this and you say your horse is that, but nobody wrote it down until pretty much the English started doing it first with the general stud book. And then the Americans in about the 1850s really got serious about documenting pedigree. And so when did the jockey club kind of come into play? The jockey club, I believe in the U S came into play in the 1890s. Wow. But we, as the official registrar, but up before that, there were a couple of academics and owners, breeders who we're doing really the yeoman's work of gathering these pedigrees back. And R.A. Alexander was one of them. 
he was the owner of Lexington, not the breeder, but the owner, and stood him at Woodburn Farm. And he was very, very, very meticulous Mm. about making sure that when he bred Lexington to a mare, that he knew exactly her pedigree, and he made those people provide proof of that pedigree and written proof. That's like one of the first times that's happened, probably. Yeah, it was an oral tradition. Mostly it was an oral tradition, even going way back to the the real Arabian breed, you know, sitting around the on sitting around the fire and telling tales of your horses and he begat this and begat that. That that was an oral tradition definitely. And it was a kind of quasi formal oral tradition up until about the mid nineteenth century in the US. Like, what yeah. I'm hearing is not much has changed because I still like to sit around the fire and have a drink and talk about my horses, just like everybody does, right? <laughs> <laughs> that is true. You've got a good point there. <laughs> so you obviously are involved in the Keeneland library and from everything I hear, it is just incredible. I've never been there. Uh, I only just used to go into Gallup racehorses and then leave. I didn't even know about the Keeneland library and you guys are about to have your 80th anniversary. So talk to us about that. Okay. Well, Keeneland opened in, um, 1936 did not have a specific mission to have a library, but it definitely had a mission to preserve the tradition of Fort. And so within three years of its opening, the one of the library directors, or rather the Keeneland directors, purchased a large collection that was focused on pedigree from America and England, and that became the Keeneland Library. And it was part of the clubhouse. It was open to anybody, in fact, not just club members, and started out just being kind of a a small collection and then eventually added librarians and more materials. And now we have over 30,000 books. We have well over a million photographs and photographic negatives. We have thousands of articles and newspaper clippings. And we have some things that you might, you know, consider what they call in the biz realia, things like, the Queen's China or Bill Shoemaker's boots or, you know, things, stuff is what Mm. we call it. And so it's heavily used by researchers, by turf riders, particularly historians, just racing fans, just people who were, I was helping somebody today who was a small time owner and he's putting together a little genealogy package, sort of what we would call a vanity press book to give to his family about their 20 years in racing. So he wants to see charts and do I have photos and things like that. So he can make a nice little, you know, keepsake for this family reunion. Wow. Really awesome. And so it is something that is just a part of the racetrack and you just can walk in. Is it included in the price of admission? Is it a separate admission? Well, it's separate from the the track. We are physically located separate from the track, but on the Keeneland campus, Keeneland is very big, yes. 1,100 acres. So we're on the Keeneland campus. We are open five days a week, 8.30 to 4.30, completely open, free and open to the public, lots of parking. Anybody can use it. We do not circulate our materials, but it is mm-hmm. not a private library. And we operate, you know, all year round, not just when racing is occurring. Cool. That was my next question. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, Becky, I think this is an 
awesome opportunity. You know, we just got off the phone with uh, Jen Reutz from the Retired Racehorse Project, and we're going to find out that uh, on their schedule, they have that Friday off. So this is a great opportunity for people who are attending the makeover to come check out the Keeneland Library during that down day. But where can people find more information on the Keeneland Library if they're interested? Uh, The easiest way is go to the website, keeneland.com. And when you you see the little menu, uh, click on the library, has our hours, it showcases some of our collections, then we have three really robust digital exhibits. So one of them is specifically about man of war. One is about photographic treasures in our archives. And another one is about Peb, the artist who created caricatures for the daily racing form. We have a large collection of his original artwork. And so you can, you can just explore parts of the Keeneland library while you're on the website And then it will tell you about our other collections and some of our goals. Well, awesome. Thank you so much, Becky. We've been, it's just been a pleasure for you to have on today. And we can't thank you enough for taking the time out to do it. So remember guys, it's www.keenland.com that you can find more information. And uh, again, Becky, thank you so much. It's been a joy. Oh, thank you. And thank you for what you're doing. It's a great job. Well, I am so excited for one of my personal favorite segments is our equestrian must-have sponsored by Riding Warehouse. And I'd like to welcome Sonia, who's going to be telling us about a pretty cool product that a lot of us could probably be using right now. Hey, Sonia. Hey, how's it going? Great. So, you know, we have a lot of rain right now and a lot of snow, but I think you have something at Riding Warehouse that a lot of our listeners might find interesting. What do you have to talk about today? Yeah, so especially since a lot of you are thoroughbred fans and they're pretty notorious at having funny feet, it is thrush season, as you mentioned, with all that rain and snow. So I'm going to talk to you about a product called Pure Soul Hoof Mud. You've all probably dealt with thrush at some point, and it's a real drag. If you're like me, you've grown up with those iodine-based treatments like Thrush Buster, which work well, but they leave your fingers stained for days. So mm-hmm. hoof mud is an all-natural supplement. It's got ingredients like apple cider vinegar, herbs, and it's super effective for a thrush, white line, or even just maintaining a healthy foot. And I actually tried this on my own horse. He lives out in the pasture, and it's just been so muddy. He's ankle deep in mud right now. And I did an experiment, week-long experiment, where I treated one hoof unless the other hoof untreated. And after a week, the, the results were just incredible. Wow, that's awesome. And so I know I'm kind of curious with the hoof mud. That's a new concept. Do we, you know, do we leave it on? Can they go back out? Do they need to wait about 20 minutes? How does that work? No, it's super easy. So as I said, I've had experience with having those stained purple fingers. You just spread a super thin layer in the creases by the frog and and that groove in the center. It's kind of just like spreading butter on toast. You don't need to pack it. And then once you're done, you just hose it off your fingers and it's all gone. It's so easy to, to take off. You don't need to wear gloves. It's probably one of my favorite things about it. I usually put it on before I ride and then I just put my horse back in the pasture after. And even a few days later, you can still, it has a very particular smell. It smells really nice. And you can still smell that, you know, the treatment working even a couple of days later of sitting in the mud. Wow. That's, I mean, there's really no science to it. That's amazing. It's just easy to use. Anyone can use it. And, you know, Sonia, where can people find this? Yes, you can visit it or visit the product on our website, ridingwarehouse.com. We also did a full review, video review of it in our blog, which is blog.ridingwarehouse.com. 
Fantastic. So remember, that's writingwarehouse.com. And I also think Writing Warehouse is doing some pretty cool campaigns right now on Instagram. Do you want to talk quickly about that? Yes, definitely. So a big thing for us is that we really love interacting with customers. We really love engaging with them and also seeing pictures of you guys. So we just launched an RW Style campaign, that's hashtag RW Style. And basically, all you do is you upload a photo of you and your horse wearing your Riding Warehouse purchases Tag us with the RW style hashtag, and every month we're going to have a $100 e gift drawn. Super easy. You can find us at, at Riding Warehouse. All one word. That's awesome. So, you guys, $100 gift card. You can get yourself some of this hoof mud and all your other must haves. Again, that's at Riding Warehouse on Instagram or www.ridingwarehouse.com. Thanks so much, Sonia. Yes, of course. Well, we are going to be highlighting spotlight riders of the Retired Racehorse Project, and we've got our first one for this episode. Her name is Shelby Dennis, and she's a 23-year-old student studying journalism and English in Vancouver, A, in Canada. She has over 18 years of experience with horses from the Arabian Circuit, hunters, jumpers, dressage. And she's currently exercising racehorses. So she's very well-rounded and she is coming on to tell us about her RRP horse, George. Well, we have Shelby Dennis on as our very first spotlight rider and we're so excited about it. Shelby, tell us all about yourself. I'm so excited to hear it. I'm so excited to have the opportunity to be talking to you right now and on the show. I am 23 years old and I'm in Langley, BC, Canada. So I'm coming probably as far away as I could from North America to get to Kentucky. So it's going to be a really long trip. I've never been to Kentucky and I've never obviously done the Retired Racehorse Project. So it's been a really big goal of mine long term to go because I'm such a fan of working with thoroughbreds off of the racetrack and Mm -hmm. on the racetrack because I work as a gallop rider. So I'm so excited to be talking to you guys about my plans for that and to have the opportunity to go in the first place because it's really a dream come true. So hold on. You live in Northern Canada and you're a gallop rider. Do you just like, do they have to snow blow the track every day? How does that work? (laughs) Where I live, like I call my area of BC, like the area of Canada for the week Canadians, because (laughs) generally speaking, our winters are very mild compared to the rest of Canada. Like we are, it snows coming down really hard right now, but we didn't have any snow in December, January. Our average temperature was probably like spring temperature, like eight degrees Celsius. (laughs) So our winters are kind of weird and we don't usually get as much of the snow and really super cold temperatures. But what we've been doing with our track is when it's a dry snow, they plowed the track. So our track at the farm is hog fuel. So it, when it's cold, the track has more give to it than sand would because sand turns into cement. So it's rideable through the cold so long as the snow doesn't ball in the hooves and it's not slippery. But looking at how the snow, snow is coming down right now, I'm probably not galloping tomorrow. Yeah. Wow, that sounds pretty intense, and it even Canada for the week would kill me. So it's all good. Yeah. I mean, oh, here I am, like, not too bad, Jamie. I mean, uh, Michigan's basically Canada, though. So yeah, well, y'all are crazy <laughs> for living up there. Okay, so anyway, tell us about the horse that you've chosen. How on earth does a gallop rider decide on one particular horse? You probably have your hands on twenty a day. So how does that work? Oh yeah. 
Like I do definitely have my favorites and there were a couple of horses that I had my eye on for bringing to the retired racehorse project, but I don't always know when or if they're going to retire. So it's really hard because you could get your heart set on one horse and then they could end up racing for four more years or they could end up being claimed and going into training with another trainer. So at my work, I try not to get my hopes up too much if I really love a horse and I just kind of sit and wait and hope for it to work out. So in George's case, how I ended up getting him was actually pretty unique because I never even expressed any interest in buying him because I figured he would be racing for at least another year or so. And I thought he would for sure be out of my price range. So when I was talking to his owner, getting walked down to the track on him near the end of the season, she mentioned that she may be looking to rehome him because she was worried about him getting claimed if she were to race him again for the 2019 season. So when she said that, I immediately said, I'm super interested. If you decide to retire him, I will buy him. So, so that, that, whole, I had that, to whole brace, that whole out of your brace range went out the window. You're like, whatever, I'll yeah. do it. She said, she said that she would like, she, I, since I know her, it's a little easier to work with her. And then further, like furthermore, when she decided to sell him to me after his last race of that year, she noticed he had a wind puff on his left front and she decided to get it x-rayed because she wasn't sure what it was. She had a feeling it might be something more than just a cosmetic injury because there was some heat. And even though he wasn't lame, she did a full vet exam and did x-rays. And then that's when we discovered a bone chip. So that was my bargaining chip to have a play on words to kind of get the price knocked down. So after that, his price dropped pretty dramatically because I needed to do the surgery, which was super expensive. But luckily a lot of that offices do payment plans, which made it more doable for me. And I really wanted to give George the best possible chance to have a career, even if it meant that he wouldn't recover in time for retired racehorse projects, because it would have been a real shame to have him sold and then go to someone who wasn't willing to do the surgery because the chip was in a place where it would just cause more damage for the future. And then he could have ended up being completely unusable. But oh, wow, yeah. yeah, you are, you are an inspiration to what every horse person should be aspiring to be right now. I mean, you go girl is George yeah. like squishy. Like, do you just love him so much? You can't stand it. Or yeah. are you like, you know what? It's just going to be giving him a career. He's like by my favorite local thoroughbred stallion. And um, with who is Stephanotis and Stephanotis recently passed away. So I kind of knew that my time was limited to get my hands on like a younger Stephanotis baby. So when George came available, it was kind of fate. And they, all of the babies by that stallion have very similar temperaments and they tend to look a lot alike because he really stamps his offspring and they just have the most incredible work ethic and they're brave and they're big, bold movers and just really fancy horses. So I even like I knew his personality from riding him. And then I also knew the breeding history from that stud because I've ridden a lot of those babies. And he just really was exactly what I was looking for. It was just a real shame with the x-rays because we hit like he hit every worst possible luck he pretty much could in terms of bone chips. 
So mm-hmm. the poor guy needed some help because I don't think he would have been sellable as is, especially once I took more x-rays because unfortunately those x-rays uncovered more chips. So wow. he would have been a very hard horse to sell without surgery. And I wouldn't say that most riders would be willing to do a $4,000 surgery on a horse that they haven't built a relationship with. So it would have been difficult for him to find a riding home. And I know a lot of people, when they're buying thoroughbreds, panic when they hear about any sort of injuries, especially stuff that requires surgery. But personally, I would rather deal with the healing and rehab from bone chips than I would from a tendon injury or something like that, because there's so much more finicky to rehab. Well, it is so refreshing to hear that you love this horse and you're so concerned about not just his resale, but about his actual career in life. What are you planning on competing him in the thoroughbred makeover? What's kind of your idea? Ideally, like in a perfect world, it's kind of dependent on when we get going in our training because right now we're still only able to walk we're just waiting for a little bit more density to build in one of his legs where the chip was removed so he's on a walk schedule and we're actually able to start trotting at the end of this week so that's very exciting and then he gets re-extrayed at the end of the month before we put him in a full program so in a perfect world if he goes perfectly and I get everything done that I feel I need to I want to do show jumping and a freestyle But if we get behind and I don't feel I have enough to show in a freestyle, we're going to show in dressage instead. Nice. Well, you're keeping George's options open. What's his racehorse name? So we all know how to look for him. He has a great racing name. His racing name is Bionic, which is ironic too, because of the surgery. That's awesome. (laughs) That's awesome. All right. Well, Shelby, thank you so much for being our first spotlight rider. It has been awesome having you on and getting to know you. And definitely we will hang out and you're over 21. So we can have a margarita together at the makeover. Yeah. Yes, we're so That'd excited. Be so much fun. <laughs> <laughs> cool. All right. All right. And Shelby, where can people find you if they want to follow Bionic Story? I am everywhere. Um, I have YouTube. <laughs> My YouTube is just my name, Shelby Dennis. And then I have Instagram, which is my initials, SD, and then Equus, E-Q-U-U-S. And then I also have my Facebook page, which is my training stable name, Milestone Equestrian. So his his progress will be posted on all of those pages. I'm most active on Instagram and YouTube. So for actual in-depth of what I'm doing with him, those are probably the best venues for it. But I'll be posting about him everywhere. And posting his progress and how he's doing because I'm so excited to work with him. I know the second he's cleared to go into full work, he's just going to go like so quickly and learn so much because he's already a show horse brain and a resource body. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for today. We're so excited to follow you in bionic. And I mean, you are just way more accomplished than I ever was at 23. (laughs) So you go girl. Like See seriously. Eight months. <laughs> and from the back of the pack on the outside, commanding curve is taken second. But California Chrome shines right in the Kentucky Derby. And now it's time for the new vocations winner circle adoptable horse of the week. Leandra, you are tempting us to pieces with your Winner's Circle Adoptable Horse of the Week. You can find it, if you want to go look real quick, at newvocations.org and the horse profiles, it's Cher Khan. Tell us about Cher Khan, Leandra. 
Shere Khan is one of our dreamy geldings at the barn. Not oh. only is he flashy with his liver chestnut coat and his good looks, he's got one of those really kind eyes. You just really can't miss him when you walk into the barn because he's always eager to greet anybody who's passing by with, you know, his soft eye and just always willing to give somebody another as they're strolling through. Now, this is where Joy and I differ. This is where Joy and I have have difference of opinion is Mm -hmm. she said, I looked at his confirmation and he's built perfectly uphill for a dressage horse. And I'm like, "Eh, he's an event horse. Okay. Dressage (laughs) is in that, Jamie. You can't have one without the other. (laughs) We go further. Exactly. Why limit yourself? Exactly. I agree. His confirmation is awesome. Well, and you know, you really can't lose with him because despite having 49 starts, so being what we would classify as more of a war horse type, Almost. he retired without any injuries. Oh, wow. So After you've got yourself a solid built. <laughs> exactly. No matter how you put it, he is solid built. That's great. You know, uh, sometimes people steer away from the horses that are the war horses or have tons of starts. And I celebrate those because that means they were sound enough to keep doing it. Mm-hmm. You know, a weenie Absolutely. little horse is not going to be able to run 49 times. And so that means he is tough. And I, he is sound. I absolutely agree with you. And, you know, for a horse who's had that many starts, you see a lot of them who start sort of trail off at a certain point, but he was a really good racehorse too. I put together the stats of it. He actually hit the scoreboard, so to speak. So either one place or showed, I think it was 35% of his races. So he had 10 wins, four places and four shows. So he actually was a strong athlete, continues to be a really strong athlete, but just is looking for a new career. And we've done a lot of work in restarting him just because he's been so good to work with and so eager to keep being an athlete just in this different nature. We've put him through ground poles on trails. He knows how to leg yield. He can do turns on the forehand and haunches. I mean, he's got it all under the sun. He can do whatever you ask. Is he makeover eligible? He is. Yes. Oh no. Yep. Oh, 100%. no. Well, I'm yes. Telling, if y'all are still looking for your horse, you need to go to newvocations.org yeah. because he is Share Khan. I hope to see him at the at the makeover because he is awesome. He is and adorable. Absolutely. I mean, I'm, even, oh, go ahead. Even if you're trailering in to, you know, some people worry about that. And with these retired racehorses, we like to say, you know, trailering is something that they've done plenty of generally. And he traveled to a bunch of different racetracks. So he is ready to go in every aspect of it, even down to getting on the trailer and going wherever you want to go with him, including that for work makeover. So definitely, if you're looking, he's going to be such a good partner. Fantastic. Well, you guys, speaking of new vocations, Leandra, you guys are hiring. We are. Yes. The dream job. Tell everybody what you're looking for. We are at this point looking for both grooms and riders. And we like to say that everybody, because we're such a close knit, smaller group, we 
everybody wears different hats. So while being a groom might sound like it's just grooming horses and packing up and maybe doing stalls and all of that, we really try to play up everybody's strengths and be a team as a whole. So that might be lunging, that might be pulling manes. I like to ask everybody, what's your superhero ability when they come in? And so we all sort of complement each other in a sense. So if you've got some really cool superhero strength that applies to the horse world, so maybe you're really good at grooming, maybe you're really good at doing something or rather, we're definitely looking for you. And same goes for the riders. We need somebody who can help out around the barn, but then who also is familiar with riding green horses and all the surprises that come with it, but certainly all the rewards too. It's so funny. You said, you said, um, superhero power. And I'm like, what, like breathing underwater? (laughs) Well, I mean, if you can do that, that I would love to know about that too. So certainly. I'm hanging out with Aquaman on the weekends. So I've learned some stuff. (laughs) Well, Well, didn't you know that we're all superheroes here at New Vocations? (laughs) Great. Newvocations.org. Look for Cher Khan. I can't wait to see him at the makeover. He is cute as can be. What is his adoption fee? Because you guys are so exorbitant with your fees. I mean, it's crazy. It's ridiculous. Oh, yes. We're, yeah, we're really breaking the bank at $600 for his adoption fee what? here. And he's actually one of our... People. Oh, yeah. Take him home for 600 But not only that, he is one of the last horses. So we're not... No new horses go online are we able to qualify for this. But he still is one who's up who does qualify for our shipping credit through our Retrained and Remarkable Challenge. Okay. So if you want to get a horse who has it all... His adoption fee is $600 and you're getting a shipping credit of up to $500. So really what he It's a $500 shipping credit. We can get him tomorrow. (laughs) (laughs) You're yelling at your husband. You're in trouble. (laughs) Yeah. This is, this is why this, this segment is not going to work for us, Joy. Okay. (laughs) Well, Leandra, as always, thank you for joining us. Thank you for telling us about your winter circle adoptable horse of the week. Thanks, Leanne. No problem. Thanks for having me. It's awesome. Thank you. You're guys. awesome as always. Well, you can find our show notes and links to today's guest on the website at retiredracehorseradio.com. Like us on Facebook. Just search for Retired Racehorse Radio. We are on Twitter at Horse Radio. Joy is a presence on Instagram at Joy H Equestrian. And her email is joy at horseradionetwork.com. You can email me, Jamie at horseradionetwork.com, or find me on Facebook. I'm not cool enough to have Instagram, so I won't be I'm going to convert you. <laughs> Thanks to our sponsors, Kentucky Performance Product, Riding Warehouse. And don't forget to check out all the other shows on the Horse Radio Network at horseradionetwork.com. Thanks, everybody. And spay, neuter, and geld. Don't forget to set your goals high and love to learn from every ride. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye.